This is Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome to another Thought and Leaders. And as you know, uh, I scour this beautiful, wonderful, uh, majestic planet of ours for the greatest thought leaders out there. This week, we have an amazing guy. His name is Jared Toey. Hello, Jared. Jonathan, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. For that one person in a cave in the outskirts of Mauritius who hasn't heard of you, do you want to say who you are? I'm a former Olympic athlete. Well, uh, they say once you're an Olympian, you're always an Olympian, they say, but it's very much former now. I did a rowing three times at the Games in Sydney, 2000, Athens, 2004, and Beijing, 2008. I retired at Beijing. Um, and since I retired, I have set up uh, two organizations which specialize in helping athletes cope with the retirement because it can be quite a tricky period of time, something I experienced myself, which was quite unexpected because uh, I was very well prepared. I'm um, an Irishman, uh, but I'm living in Sydney at the moment. said that once you're an Olympian, you're always an Olympian. Going to the Olympic Games, it's got a status about it that's quite high. So people, um, you know, just follow you. And it's really, I guess it gives you a place in the world and validates who you are. Um, and so the bubble of the, I mean, the training that you have to do, especially in the sport I was doing, which was rowing, um, a lot of sports are similar, uh, very much a training intensive sport. So, you know, uh, four to six hours a day at it and then the competing the traveling everything about it is a bit of a circus it's amazing mind you um when you're in it it's it's just incredible to be given the opportunity to test yourself at that level of competition and i guess like every time you actually go out to compete you're competing against the best people in the world so it keeps you on your toes so the motivation to train is very very high because if you don't train you're going to get smashed Look at the Olympic Games themselves, you know, people talk about the Olympics and they say, oh, it's this great celebration of humanity and all these people together. It's like, it's nothing like that at all. <laughs> it's, it's oh, really, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, people are just in their bubbles, they're in their zones, they're not really into communicating too much until you finished your competition. age of 10 if somebody asked me what I was doing tomorrow who I am um, where I'm going I could tell them uh, very easily that I'm a rower I'm going to the next Olympic Games those two those two things were ticked off I had a purpose I had I had a place that I was going to every day and I was an Olympic athlete and that's what I hung my hat on for many many years she went to London for a year I went to drama school and going into drama school in London was brilliant because I was learning new things for the first time in ages. Drama school is like training in a way. You're literally, you're there at nine o'clock every morning. You don't leave until six and there's a big kind of a schedule. So 
that where you're going, what you're doing was taken care of then again. But it was when I finished drama school that literally the day after I finished and I was like, oh, what am I doing now? And when I didn't have the answers to that very simple question, those simple questions, who I am, um, where I'm going, what I'm doing, I find it very, very disabling. You know, we do pin our identities on what we're doing and, and we take pride in what we're doing at a very high level, be it work, be it sport, be it whatever. But pinning our identity to that is something that everybody does. And so like when this COVID thing happened, a lot of people were thrown into that space of not having their purpose and losing who they were because their work has changed. So uh, yeah. it's very, very reminiscent of what sports people go through when they finish sport. Being at the top for many people who don't become Olympians, that is, it's a very short-lived life, isn't it, really, being a sports person? I don't know. You have to tell me from a rowing point of view, how long is a career in rowing? I don't know. Uh, it really depends on how on how good your body is, like, uh, you know, in terms of how much you can take. Uh, and some rowers have gone, have, have very long careers, like 20 years. They've got injury- Oh, well, that's good then. Yeah, they've got injury-free and stuff like that. But I guess the other thing about sport, and it, quite, it changed quite a lot when I was in it, um, the whole sporting world, is that, you know, you had to train much harder, you had to train more often. You moved from kind of like that whole amateur Olympic thing to everything's professional now, even if there's no money involved. Um, the thing that happened for me wasn't so much the physical side was fine. Uh, I was strong and everything, but it was just the mental side and the, um, I guess I was just a bit burned out from it. And the problem in sport is that they don't really accommodate athletes who should really have a year off. Because as you get kind of um, longer into your career, you don't need to, to do all the miles that, that you had to do when you were 21, 22. So there should be some leeway given to older athletes really to take a year off and come back into it again for another cycle. And fortunately for me, that wasn't really possible. Um, and so the only option was to retire at, at the age of 31, <laughs> the grand old age of 31. So I think a lot of athletes actually – uh, finish earlier than they should because of that because they don't get that opportunity to take a breather because you know when the olympic games finish then you're back on the gravy train two months later for the next season and the next cycles A lot of these athletes have come out now saying that, you know, they they felt ashamed of their bodies if they had put on a, a pound here or a pound there because they just couldn't do it. And this is stuff that actually stayed with them as they grew older in life. Yeah. Sport can be it can be the thing that rescues you. So from a from the from an early age, you say you might be getting on that well at school, you might have, you know, learning difficulties or you might just not be fitting in. But sometimes a lot of sports people get into a sport at a very intense level because they find something from a young age where they do fit, where they are good, where they where they can see progress and they and they love it. And so it becomes for a lot of athletes, and you speak to a lot of them, they come from troubling pasts in that way. But the but the problem with the um, I guess the the ecosystem is that you get then get a whole crop of young people who are just hungry to do whatever they can to succeed. And so it's, it's, it's a bit tricky because you need then to have 
the people on top of them, in charge of them, if they don't have, I guess, good values, then you're running into trouble. You're, you're running into things where um, you're susceptible to bullying, abuse, um, anything, because all you want to do is get the result. And if your coach is not such a good person and who's a control freak, that's actually going to have a, a hard time on your kind of self, on your identity, on who you are, because you become subservient. And you see that an awful lot in sports, especially with certain sports where people are quite young. You see there's lots of stuff in the media you know, from time to time in different sports of bullying and not being looked after right. And I think it's a, it's a mixture between the athlete being super hungry to do whatever they can to please the coach and maybe the coach is having a bit of um, psychological difficulty themselves in their own lives. Post-COVID, managers might be going through their own stuff taking it out on other people as they're also trying to get back into normality. So this radical change, it does put people out of their comfort zone. Now, you have been put out of your comfort zone many times when you are, you know, as an Olympian, you're doing your stuff. Didn't you cross the Atlantic? <laughs> Speaking of comfort zones, yeah, like I, I put myself um, voluntarily into extreme situations where I've taken out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I learned a lot, like that Atlantic rowing race that I did. I was doing it with one other person. It was the first week on the ocean. And of course, it's a tiny boat. So you're getting used to do two hours on, two hours off. So you never sleep for more than really four hours and any 24. So your body's getting used to that, getting used to the new food, getting used to living on this thing that has been kicked around like a bucking horse. And I remember thinking like, you know, wow, I don't think a human being can cope with this like level of <laughs> brutality but after a week we were actually in our flow and we were used to what we, used, we just got used to it and I was thinking wow if, if, if we can get used to this uh, this hell <laughs> we can get used to anything but I went out there before was an adventure um, you know getting across the ocean was the goal but the real goal in my head was the adventure and being out there like um, just in an extreme environment beautiful environment by the way I'm not going to some of the things we saw out there were incredible but, but we got caught in the Force 9 storm and we were getting like 6 or 7 metre swells with 10 metre uh, waves kind of coming through and we got caught in one of those um, big waves and uh, got capsized and the boat got destroyed and then we were left sitting in a life raft uh, 900 miles from shore <laughs> that Good god that was the adventure i was looking for when we capsized and we you know we were held underwater for a long period of time we definitely said goodbye to the to the planet we were very cool and calm it was like we had been stripped down to absolutely nothing we had you know one percent chance of surviving and that's what we thought but when you're put into that position you've no choice now but to but to survive we just did it uh, and people used to say to us, oh, God, you guys are so brave. And I was like, well, it wasn't really bravery. It was like it was just having no option but to, <laughs> to do the best of what we had. That's how we survived that. Yeah, we just, it wasn't anything that we kind of decided to do. We just had to do. And I think that's a good lesson for people too. Like it's, and I, try and, I try and take that into my everyday life. We are all in a boat, aren't we? We're in, we don't know how high these waves are going to be. But is it an amazing testimony to the human condition? Somehow people kind of adapt 
their boat, which at first looked like very, being very frail and, and all the rest of it, and they say, well, actually, this is my world and this is where I'm comfortable in, even though I'm being battered around. I accept it. We, we do accept things in life, don't we? From the COVID thing, it was very interesting to see how people did accept it. I mean, I know people are getting a bit over the whole lockdown thing now and the rules are getting broken left, right and center. But for a period of time, you know, in March, April, it's just like a, a, something that touched every single person on the planet or affected them. And for the most part, people just knuckled down and got on with it. Uh, it's like, okay, I've got to stay in my house and I've got to, you know, stay away from people. And, and we just did it. Um, you know, and as, as well, I mean, I saw some funny stuff as well, like happening during it, you know, people saying, you know, we're not being asked to just like live in a bomb shelter for two weeks. You know, we're just being asked to sit yeah, at home and watch TV, like just, you know. A lot of us in life, parents maybe, they will say to us, you're going to be, in your case, you know, an amazing sports person. Uh, someone else is going to be an amazing accountant. Someone's going to be whatever it is that they're going to be. We kind of give ourselves these titles. We give ourselves these identities. But then life being life, sometimes those identities fall away and we're not really prepared to know how to cope beyond that identity. Yeah. And that must be particularly true with sports people. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the kind of number one issue, really, uh, if I wanted to boil it down to the main issue with athletes retire, retiring. And, you know, it's in the media a lot now. You know, people, they love to jump on the, on a story about an athlete losing the plot. If I want to kind of pick one reason why that happens, it's, it's that identity loss. And it's not just the athlete either, it's the people around them. Because if you've been the athlete, you've been the, like the football player, whatever it is, to your like siblings, your parents, your your wife and kids or husband and whatever it is, you're that person. And so it's not just the athlete that loses the identity either. It's actually the, the whole support structure around them. And so they need to be educated too on what it's like. And it's very interesting because it's very hard to describe like an identity loss feeling to a current athlete because their identity is so strong. And even if you say to them, look, if you get injured tomorrow and this is gone, who are you? They kind of don't care. They can't, they can't feel it. They can't see it. And so the work that we do in helping athletes to transition, really the most effective work is with the athletes who felt that identity loss because they understand I am much more than just this athlete, but I have no idea who that person is of really getting to know who you are without that identity um, being linked to the sport. And it's very, very, it can be very difficult for people. Some people like haven't made it out. Um, they try job and they try business and stuff, but they never really find the same thing. Really, you're going to be very lucky to find something as exciting as what you did as an athlete. That's just the reality of it. But really, you've got the key to it and you kind of put your, kind of hit the nail on the head. The key to it really is like um, being able to exist without having an identity linked to something or being someone. And that comes from that self-awareness stuff that really doesn't happen in the sports world. You have self-awareness, but it's about your body and how and your performance. It's not about you, your spirit and you know who you are really. I remember once, I'm going back a long time ago now, right? I was in the King's Road in London. There in this bar was George Best, and he was seriously drunk. And it was really, really sad. But the thing is, is that what's interesting talking to you and um, thinking about that uh, experience 
he was then known at that period of his life for being a drunk. Mm. He took on this different identity in terms of what people expected him to be. Oh, I'm I'm that guy who was like the greatest football player in the world. And now I'm this drunk. And so I'm going to play, well, not in the play because he, he, the poor man, he was in a terrible state, but I'm going to actually give into it more. And I think that when we lose our identities, that can happen, can't it? We, the, the person we are now finding ourselves being, which it can be sad and can be awful and can be even tragic, we actually f- feed into that. If you're going to be a drunk or going to be into drugs, you're going to do it at a very high level because <laughs> you're going to give it your yeah. own, you know? <laughs> you're going to find something to hang your hat on. You know, you you actually are desperate to do that, right? Um, because you're so used to having your, your hat hung on something. The void is so deep and dark that, like, if you don't have something to cross, like a bridge to cross that, you are susceptible to to getting involved at that in those activities at a very high level because athletes, you know, we are uh, dopamine junkies. We had um, four to six hours of like feel good chemicals flowing through our body every single day. We're big risk takers, like, you know, training the house down for four years, like to gambling on winning one race. I mean, it's, it requires us a certain mindset to do that. Right. So gambling, big gamblers, big risk takers, you're not going to just stop doing that when you finish. You're going to need to do something that's going to satisfy that part of you. If it's work, if it's a really good business, if you're not doing that straight away and you fall down the route of going, okay, I'm going to just drink and party because I deserve to know, you'll quickly find that the alcohol and drugs replaces the dopamine that you were getting every day in training. And so it becomes an easy option. This is brave. This is bruised. This is it's it's a very complex um, discussion, right? Because it you are telling people to move on, right, with their lives and find some find a new identity and do something else that you're going to be really good at. Because it's possible to be really good at a number of things in your life and at that same level. But then you're um, at the same time, you're kind of asking them to forget about their identity as a sports person in which actually they're worked really hard for that to be in that position. And they're revered and they're looked up to even when they're retired. Like, and so there's a very interesting thing where athletes go like, OK, I want to move on into a new career, but I work my ass off at something else to get to that level where people love me and people think I'm great. A lot of people, they, they fall down the trap of going, okay, I'm going to be the athlete who is going to live off my successes for the rest of my life. That's a very dangerous tactic to take. You become resentful of your position because you think all I can be is this ex-athlete. I don't have anything else going for me. The sporting world moves on so fast that like being an ex-athlete is not actually that cool. Uh, it's all about the ones that are coolest are the ones who are currently competing, right? This is me. <laughs> I think there's a sweet spot of like moving on into a new career, but being able to give back into the sport. A lot of people want to want to impart their knowledge and into onto the younger people coming up, um, but it's not very common. A lot of athletes just literally leave the sport and they're gone, and they feel a lot of resentment to moving on things. So 
there is a sweet spot. It's finding something else and utilizing your, your skills and, and utilizing your, your profile and your network to further your career into the next level. And, and it's almost kind of like bringing the best of what you had as an athlete into your next life. What's more important for a lot of uh, sports people? Is it to win the race or to win the game or to win the match, whatever it is? Is it to win that or is it to be loved because you won? What's more important? I think the winning, the being loved comes as a result of the winning. You know, if you win, uh, everything's good. I mean, this is a very unhealthy attitude, right? And this is unfortunately very common amongst all of us, right, is that if – if we win, we'll be loved, right? And it's a very common thing about everybody. If I, if if I, you know, if I do what my parents tell me to do, they're going to love me. It comes from that space. I think the competitors, the real competitors, they just care about winning. They don't really care about if they're loved or not. I've got four years to win this race at the end of it, and it, and really, people are quite ruthless about that. <laughs> watching in the UK amazing documentary out which is about the rise of Rupert Murdoch I didn't care about being loved if I didn't care if it was hated actually it was just about winning and there are a lot of people that the love that they get is gained just purely by winning at any cost yeah. just win yeah if you look at Roy Keane in the sporting context you know uh, Roy Keane um, yeah he's like you know from we're from the same area in Ireland he is a guy who doesn't really care what people think about him. He says what he thinks. He was a, a, an, an amazing competitor on the field. I mean, he was just legendary. Winning was everything to him. Standards, keeping standards up was very important to him. And if his teammates slipped, he was just on their backs, like which we should be. But he's loved. I mean, yeah, there is people that won't like Roy Keane, but he doesn't care. But most people love him for that. They love him for being such a great competitor. And he's a great, he's a great role model. I mean, from all the stuff that, you know, he went through with the Irish team and he just was someone as well who stood up for what he believed. Um, and I guess that brings adoration too, you know? We're going to be partially locked again and then unlocked, but whatever. But we're moving forward now. Do you think that those who win will be the ultimate victors, both in terms of love and self-satisfaction. So basically just keep on going, whatever it takes. I mean, what's your advice? Yeah, I think so. It's like, it's, it's the world is keep the world is, you know, we're, we're, we're still waking up and going to bed every day and it's not going to change. Like it's, it's sort of, you know, I think keep people need to keep their goals and keep their, their dreams alive here and don't just let it, go down because there's a global pandemic it's sort of you know whatever happens we will deal with it and that's you know that's the thing that i've learned from what that atlantic trip was like whatever happens we, we'll deal with it and we'll deal with it calmly and we'll make the right decisions at the time the same thing with my sporting career is like at the beginning of my career it was like every race felt like life and death which was the wrong attitude completely doesn't matter whether you win or lose you'll still wake up the next day and everything's going to be okay you know so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here and just kind of like do your own, stick to your own little world and we'll move through it. When you capsized, what's really interesting is that you said you calmly, coolly thought, okay, 
basically i've got to get back in the boat i mean we can you know we can you can, we can theorize about this forever and ever and ever but basically i've got to get back in the boat and that's what you did it's just that you got on with it well we got back into life raft <laughs> the boat was on its way down to the bottom of the ocean that's even more interesting that you didn't get back into the boat because the boat was capsized uh, was going down to the bottom of the ocean my entire world has now collapsed well it sunk actually and so you just changed vessel to keep alive to keep going I often think about this moment, actually, I haven't said this to many people, but it's, it's when we were in, in great peril, <laughs> clinging to a piece of wood, basically, at that point, because we still had to get our life raft out. I was, we were so, so calm and collected that I was kind of thinking, like, do I care about whether I live or die? Like, is, it, is this what this thing is? Like, do, do, I, do I care? Like, I, it feels like I don't care about whether I live or die or not. But actually, what, what that was, was, that was the shock system protecting me because if I didn't have that calmness and that ice cold blood basically running through my veins at that point, I don't think, you know, we would have gotten out of that because you would have been panicking. You would have been in the fight and flight and you would have been freaking out. But I think that the calmness came from just like the, the shock response. And once we were calm, it was like, you know, we did everything to the book. It's about, being in the moment, not saying, "Well, I could have, I, I may, ha- I, I may do, uh, I should have." It's about it's where I am now. I'm going to make the most of what I've got now. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Like somebody um, before I left, or before we left, um, myself and Kieran, there was two of us doing this challenge. And um, before we left, we had a, a pint with a guy who had done it the Pacific a couple of years before on his own and. He got capsized and same thing, rescued and stuff. And he was telling us his story. And we were like going, oh, my God, that sounds like hell. I would never want to experience that, blah, blah, blah. And there we were. We got thrown into it. And, of course, we coped with it. And that's not me saying I'm any any good at surviving. It's just that that's what the human response was. It wasn't necessarily my response as Garrod. It was, it was the human response that I think everyone has when they're faced with something like that. Tell us a little bit more about your organization. Okay, so um, I started um, an organization called Crossing the Line in 2015. It had been brewing since 2009, since I had my like, kind of little identity crisis in London. After that, I went and I started an events business because I did a bit of work on myself and I found out what it is that I like and don't like. And I liked the whole risk-taking thing. I liked the excitement. I liked working for myself. So I went into events, which is adrenaline pumping for sure. So I started an events business for a couple of years, but I kept thinking about like, you know, when I was going through that little bit of an identity crisis, I was going like, well, I went online to look for a website for athletes that would describe and tell me how I was feeling, you know? Um, but there was nothing. I also had the idea to start off a website that athletes, if they were typed in athlete, um, depression or that's the identity crisis that they come to a place where they find a website, uh, an article, piece of research, a podcast, something in their language that would explain to them how they're feeling, um, stories from other athletes, peer to peer sharing, all that kind of stuff. So that was crossing the line. So I started that and that became a charity. So that's a fully fledged charity. Now all that, all that stuff on the website, crossinglinesport.com is free, but off the back of that, um, I co-founded an, uh, an organization called the athlete advantage, which really is about working with athletes on their mental health, well-being, and repackaging themselves 
linking them with a mentor. So once they've done all that preparation work on who they are and what their skills are and what their experiences are uh, into CVs and LinkedIn's and stuff, then we pair them with a mentor who can then give them a network. A lot of athletes were just going into jobs very fast because they needed the money or they needed the identity. So they lasted six months, moved on to the next thing. Last six months, moved on to the next thing. And that was really doing bad things for their self-esteem. And so we set our whole, um, the athlete advantage is all about slowing them down, working one-on-one, online learning platform, uh, really, really getting in there with them and then connecting them then to the action part, which is work experience and mentoring. So that is crossing, it's actually crossing the line sport, isn't it? Dot yeah, com? Crossing line sport.com is the charity, like the free resource. And then the athlete transition program is called the athlete advantage.com. Got it. Got it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it was a pleasure. We could talk for another couple of hours, I reckon. <laughs> I, I reckon we could. I reckon we could. So until next time, people, look after yourself. Remember, business is business, but business is in our hands. So what we do with it is up to us. And the most important business of all, of course, is looking after ourselves. Then we have the strength to be able to look after others. Until next time, speak to you soon. Why not join us in a future show? It's a chance to make sure your story is heard. Or if you have an intriguing idea for Jonathan to explore, why not email reinventatme.com? That's reinventatme.com.